Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is a recording of the first ever live keynote debate held at the annual International Music Summit in Ibiza back in May. IMS invited 13 industry professionals together to ponder the question, is dance music headed in the right direction? The panel featured a mix of promoters, venue managers and directors, along with artist agents, media figures and more, including the experimental pop artist Sophie and BBC Radio 1 veteran Pete Tong. Moderated by RA editor Will Lynch, the talk covers both negative and positive trends, such as the impact of rising DJ fees on promoters and venues, the illusory power of social media statistics, and the emerging generation of politically-minded parties. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The IMS panel is up next. I guess to start, I wanted to ask if there was any part of what Keith said that particularly resonated with anyone that they wanted to follow up on. Don't be shy. So I'm Andy Booker of Fabric, so... <laughs> um, yeah, but one of the things that I'm really worried about is that the, the ecosystem of club manager, venue, promoter is, is broken in the sense that the people are taking 100% the risk at the bottom of the food chain and there's less money coming in, but year on year artists want more and more money. And this is where it becomes impossible to book. Lineups I used to book four or five years ago cost me 25% more than they do now. So actually the level of lineups I can present for the money is less value to the customer. But the artists want more money, ticket prices are at a maximum for our club, we feel the drinks prices are at a maximum, we feel there's nowhere to go. So it, what's the answer to that? I don't really know. I feel there needs to be a big reset in fees and ticket prices to get people back into, well, especially in London, to get people back into the clubs because footfall is going down and ticket prices, when I started going out, were 10, 15 pounds. They're now 25 pounds for most clubs. And if you talk to our friends here next door, he's, you know, it's even more for, for print works, but it's a, it's a lot larger scale. How do we get there? I don't know, but that's one of the issues that really, really concerns me is, is the level of lineups we can put on or can't put on anymore. Mark Newton, um, Printworks in London. 
Just, just echoing what Keith said earlier and what Andy said there, there is a, a, a middle tier of artists that when I first started out would maybe £1,000, £1,500. Um, those fees are now going up to five, six, seven thousand, 7000 And there is just really no justification from where those fees are valued apart from they position themselves cheaper than the people that are above them. But those people that are above them, that might be 10, 15, 20,000, are at that level because they're actually selling the tickets. But they just go, well, X is getting this, so I feel that my artist should be getting that. And like Andy says, the, the customers are losing out. We're losing out as promoters because we can't put on the lineups that we'd like to put on. But the artists are still benefiting from, from it all because they're getting higher fees. It's working, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Leticia, I'm a manager. So I think a big issue is that um, when it's being presented for artists, we're n they're not getting the bigger picture. I think a lot of you know the ma the agents will get the fees as much as possible, and then they'll present it to the artists because they got the fee to a really high, but they won't have spoken to the smaller venues or something and take this and show the whole, you know, the whole picture. Hey, I got you, I don't know, 20 grand here, but this club is a much cool, you know, much better club and better everything, but it's 5K. I don't know, I'm just, you know. And I think that this should be the job of the agent to present the entire picture for us to be able to, as a manager and as the artist, to make a, you know, informed decision as to what we want, we want to do. I think that would really help the culture. Just to add to that, I think I, I agree with what you're sorry. saying. Sorry, can you just introduce yourself? Oh, sorry, J Jazz. I'm an artist manager, but used to be an agent, so I have a good perspective, <laughs> a good perspective on this. Um, there's, that's part of it is getting the whole picture, you know, which I can see that. And also, I think that a lot of the newer artists coming up, uh, it is a race. And, uh, you know, maybe some of that has to do with the social media, some of it. I think that some of the older, older school artists or the headliners that you guys say that do fill the club that will work with you on the fees, which I know for a fact they do, the uh, younger artists, I feel like they're just in this race with each other, this, this kind of arms race to see that how, what fees they can get. And they're comparing notes and seeing that they should be at this level. Uh, that's one of the one of the issues I think I, you know could be part of it. But I well, one of the funny things I've had is artists telling me what other artists have told them are getting, but then they're not actually getting the fees they've mentioned. Yeah, I get that too a lot with my with with my clients where they're like, "Well, so and so got this," and it's like, "Well, shouldn't we be getting that?" Hold on. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Matar from Output, which uh, recently closed. Uh, for, I think Keith summed it up quite well in his keynote speech. I mean, that pretty much explained why uh, we voluntarily decided to close the club. Uh, in regards to this discussion about this middle tier talent that once upon a time was a thousand, now they're four or five thousand, and they don't generate ticket sales, um, I think as a result of this, a lot of promoters now have stopped booking these middle, middle DJs, and instead they would rather have a local artist for three to five hundred dollars who will bring more people. As, um, hi guys, Cave Burke from House of Yes, a nightclub in Brooklyn, and uh, exactly what Nicholas said, this is how we this is the only way that House of Yes could survive. And we learned this three years ago when we opened that we could not sell tickets with these middle tier DJs. 
we booked our local friends and we called it, you know, a space cats party. And part of the solution to this, um, this sort of trend and seeing this trend take a downturn is that we design our club into more of an artistic experience. It's a participatory, experimental, uh, has a lot more uh, visual performance with dance music, and it's not about the headlining DJ. Uh, Pete Tong, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just chip in with something that I just thought of hearing you all talk, because I wear all the hats that Jazz wears, and, and I'm the artist as well. But I think, you know, historically, I've, as an art, from an artist point of view, there's always been ecosystems out there that you had to put your name to. Circle Oco DC10 being a perfect example on this island, which, you know, I see Seth sitting over there. Um, you know, there, there was always an understanding in that club that you were never going to get the big money, but that club created an ecosystem that was really, really important to the DJ in terms of building their reputation, a, a place to experiment. I think Cielo used to have that, the Knicks Club in New York. I think Fabric definitely had it at the beginning that it was a scramble to get in there. Maybe there's something in that, um, in terms of looking at that going forward, of, of where those ecosystems exist and what it takes to actually get that kind of vibe back. What, you know, Panorama Bar has it, Bergheim has it. It's interesting what you're saying about your club in Brooklyn, because it's actually ultimately those communities of people coming together that create a scene, and then suddenly as an artist, you want to be in the middle of that scene. I, th I think that that's... Um, yeah. When, when we started booking Fabric, we booked in a different way. We booked what we believed in, what we loved, and what we was passionate about. Now, when you look at, look at a new artist now, the questions you're going to ask is, how much are you going to charge, and what's your social, social media stats? And if anyone thinks that's the right way, uh, you know, uh, they're wrong. It, you know, and, but it's the way you've got to do it now, because that is, everything is being driven by stats, data, and numbers and it's becoming automated and robotic. And as a young artist or a new artist, you know, you've got every chance of going out to find a promoter that really loves what you're doing and is gonna get behind you. Now, you've just gotta put all this fictitious, illusionary furniture around you to, to, if you like, to demonstrate that case. Now I've got so many followers on Instagram. and all that. Who gives a shit? What we wanna know about is how, what's the music you're playing and is it great? You know, and that's what we need to get back to. I agree, but I'm just going to be honest, I think it would be very hard to, in that department, in social media, to go, you know, to remove that from the picture. From oh, you can't unwind it, I know that. That's why I said this is yeah, the most exactly. damaging it, and is the bit that scares me the most. But I think in terms of managers, agents, nightclubs and everything, there's definitely, we can do something. But in terms of the social media, I think it's really, now it's really part of the system and there is no turning back, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's a synthetic part of the system as well because a lot of those followers and things, you know, it can be generated in a multitude of ways and it has very little relevance or relativity towards the quality of what you're doing as an artist. But do you think the, the danger of the social media is the erosion of the middle tier? Because we speak to customers and um, because the, the cost of going into a club now is so high the cost of a night out, especially in London, your taxis, you add it all together, you're right, it's two, three hundred quid for a night out. If you want a perceived guaranteed good night out, you're going to take less risks. So that it feeds the same cycle of, I want to see a headliner because I perceive that as a guaranteed good night out. I'm not, when it was a fiver and a tanner and 15, you take a risk, I want to check out this new DJ because it didn't really hit you, hit you in the pocket. I think now, 
because the middle tier don't have the social media, they can't get the, the, the fan base, that then people take less risk in, in, in discovering them. And that's the danger. I, my favourite DJs are the middle tier lot, and they're, they're the best ones out there for me. They're the ones that take a risk, they're the ones that it give um, good, obviously good sets. But yeah, the danger is, I just don't think they, because of the cost of it, people will not take the chance to go and see them. And that's due to social media. And it's the promoter's job to promote, not the artists themselves, through their social media channels. I know it works, and I know it's good, but as I say, it's creating a, a synthetic background that doesn't have any base in the quality and diversity and creativity of, what their, of their musical output. You know? And if it continues this way, sorry, I feel a lot happier speaking down here. I was very nervous up there. Uh, <laughs> but if it continues this way, I'm telling you, what you're going to end up with is a club of really obnoxious rich kids. And that's not saying all rich kids are obnoxious, but some of them are. And a load of other people that are out for a photo call, basically. All they're interested in is coming out, getting a few dotty photographs to litter their social media sites or their Instagram account with, and then they fuck off home. You know, they're not interested in music, but they're happy to pay to get that picture, you know. And, and I want a club, and that's why I've met some of the most interesting coolest people in the world in nightclubs and they don't always have a lot of money they're too busy being cool and filling their head with interesting stuff to make their fortune and if we price them out clubs are going to become bland and boring and you know who would want to go there as I said it doesn't matter about the building or the sound system if you're in a room full of shitheads I want to go home thank you very much you lot are annoying me you know um, and, and that's where I think we're heading at the moment um, one thing that I wanted to discuss is that, you know, one big issue that we have is every DJ now feels compelled to create a brand. So every DJ has a brand. These branded events are expensive to produce. They have a high ticket price. All these DJ branded events want to book other headliners. And I really think in my market of Brooklyn, it's, it's killing the scene because you know, young people can afford to go to one event a month. They go big, uh, you know, three to 5,000 capacity, like pop-up locations. They get their Instagram shots and, you know, spend two, $300. And then they don't have money left over to frequent the normal club that is open week, day in and day out. Yeah. This is true. I do want to speak to the positive parts of social media. Um, one of them being audience engagement and real talk, authentic voices that are coming from, you know, fans of artists, uh, fans of specific venues. And at House of Yes, a lot of the feedback and a lot of the, the direct messages from our Instagram and our Facebook have directly influenced our policies that we've changed in our own club. And that's cool. Artists, I'm sure as well, if they if uh, something is being brought to their attention, they have the opportunity to listen to their fans in a new way. Also, the baby artists, the new artists, thanks to SoundCloud and those type of things, have, they don't need to splurge on PR if they're, you know, they just might go viral. It's, it's a lottery, but it does give an opportunity to those who really in the past didn't have it without social media. I, I do have to say, I see it a little bit differently. I'm human from MMA. We also just recently shut down a month ago. 
to be honest, everybody is talking about money, everybody is talking about DJs and their fees and agents. I see it a bit differently. Put the DJ secondary, put the music in the center, and what do we as promoters, agents, artists, managers give? We are supposed to give shelter and refuge to people from all social classes. And that's the main thing we all should work on, to be honest. That's how it comes together. You go out, you're rich, you're poor, it doesn't matter when you go to the club. You drop your mask, you go for a few hours, you're on holiday. And I think that's what we should really be talking about, and that's what we should go back to, because what was the scene based on, this island based on even? It was about giving, and not about just taking. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. I think that's really important. I'm Kira. I'm a booking agent. Um, I mean, I kind of want to ask you guys, you talk about headliners and this middle-tier talent. What if you just got rid of the headliners and focused on building the middle-tier talent so they became ticket sellers? Because to me, it seems like there's a massive difference in, you know, these headliners strangleholding fees. Um, it, the problem circles back to Keith in, in social media. I think we've got in a trap with the younger generation of that looks good. So Mark runs a great venue and he's got that the lovely light show and people can go, oh, there's a little 30-second video. That looks great. It's never about the DJ anymore. It's about, sadly, I think with... with I sorry to sound older, but the younger generation, music is only a part of going out. When we started it, it was all about going out. It was you have a little one strobe in the corner, a laser and some speakers, we were happy as long as the DJ was good. It's so, it's, the music has become secondary. So when you do, if I talk about Fabric as 52 weeks, the 30 headline shows, you do it like that, and it's fine, you don't worry about it, but the, 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 the nights that we made our name on was the nights in between, the, call, the, the Midlands, the Presumers, all those really good things. But sadly, because the cost of running the venue is that high, we can't really reduce the ticket price that much that they want to go to the perceived big nights out. So you'll go make money, lose money, make money, lose money, make money, lose money. So you're asking us to take on all the risk of developing an artist into a headliner for what reward? For a festival to go and take them off our hand and, and, and book them. So it's a really difficult spiral. I'm not asking you to take on the full responsibility of that, but I'm asking us as a collective community to look at how do we celebrate these artists that are legendary and are just not ticket sellers? And it's about changing the audience. As you said, the music is not, you know, the music is not the primary reason they're going out. So what can we do to educate well, people and involve I think them? A, I think I have to think about this about RA recently as well. We've all got trapped into stories that get high reads rather than stories that expose pure talent. We've all got sucked into this call it tabloid paper, the way we share stories and everything like that. We're not actually, as a community, giving enough behind talent. We've all gone, we've all trapped ourselves in chasing the money, chasing the high ticket prices, and it's now come to bite us all. And we've, we've been complicit in it. It's not blaming anyone. We've been complicit in it. And now I just think it's the margins have got that tight that there's no more to give. But footfall is, is reducing, well, definitely in London. But the, but the important bit is what I was saying about those second-tier DJs, because no one has a problem with a headliner. If he sells out the tickets, he's earned his money. But there's a lot in the tier two, if you like, that want four, five, sometimes six or seven, and they couldn't sell a ticket if their arse was on fire. Now, they're injuring their self here, because part of going out is to discover 
new, exciting music and, and experience new things with it. And if they're making it, if they, now they've bought this, and this is the watershed really, now they've pitched it up to that level of four or five grand, you can't afford to take chances on those guys anymore. And so eventually they've been getting away with it for a few years because it's, everyone's been wondering how to deal with this quandary. But soon, and very soon, it's going to come, and this is where social media is going to come back to bite their ass really. Soon they're going to say, no, you haven't sold a ticket, you're not going to. And what that means is you are now taking money under false pretenses out of the pockets of the people that want to come to this club, the people that have queued up for two hours and want to listen to your music, and you're just taking money out of their pockets, and, and it's not justified. And that's the bit that's got me, because as a promoter, you, you, you look, you, very often they'll do it that way. They'll get the headliner, which, if you, like, if you like, brings the attention. But it's there also to shine a light on a lot of the guys which are kind of working their way up. And you'll get to be there. And if you're really good, you'll get up to that headliner state. But you can't come in and have five or six or seven thousand pounds if you're not generating those ticket sales. And that is pure commercial principles, you know, and that's really what we need to get back to, getting some kind of a rational debate about how we can get behind those guys and support them and promote them without losing 20 or 30 grand a week doing it. Yeah, my name is Stefan. I run small clubs, 300, 900 uh, capacity and as well some festivals. I totally agree with you. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think that there is any um, measurement to bring that back, actually. Um, because I think it started maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Let's say I'm talking difference between countryside and major cities like in Germany, Berlin, Munich, Hamburg, London, Paris, Amsterdam, New York and whatever. What you are talking through, um, that already happened 8, 9, 10 years ago in Germany with all the smaller local markets. We, we, we booked headliners like 10, 12 years ago. Well, first we did DJ bookings and... Um, by doing the DJ bookings, we basically lowered the level of the normal club resident, and the people did not come anymore for the club resident. Then they came only for the, for the DJ booking, and finally, the more DJs you booked, the higher value they were. They only came for, for the bigger artist. And um, I think our whole scene about nine, eight years ago turned a little bit from a underground house and club scene into a major industry, actually, where so many industry levels come up, talking about um, big booking agent companies, talking about huge festivals all over the world. We are doing festivals and everything. And I think with the social media kicking in so fast, being or enabling artists getting an attention um, which they would have had like 15 years only after five, six, seven, eight big records and going all around the world playing all the important clubs and playing the clubs for like four, five, six, seven hours a night doing a night and spreading the word and spreading the rumor. No, now if you're right, if you can't pay the money for this and that artist, no problem, because in January there's going to be a festival in Vietnam or somewhere else. And I think um, at the end of the day, you can't really blame anybody, but uh, there is kind of like a monster we, um, we let out of the bottle. And like you said, social media is going to bite back into our ass. And um, I think this is what's going to happen um, right now at the moment. I just want to say something again about the, uh, the middle tier. 
any time that I've ever been involved with building an artist from scratch and being you know, involved from the beginning, my best advice, and of course we don't have as much influence over the artist as everybody thinks, but is we just take the gigs, you know, like, okay, go, go play for a thousand, go do this. And that's what I would say if you're saying like, okay, well, why don't you guys just book the middle tiers and build them well, because the middle tiers are charging too much, which is the issue. Go play everything, everything, everything. Then when you come back around and you're worth the tickets, then you start, then it, then it flips to another side. And I've been on both sides of this and I've been in a progression of it, where it flips to the other side, where the artist is now, you gotta make sure that you're not getting taken advantage of as the artist, and then you're, getting, you're playing for too low, and then all of a sudden the club is making too much money because they're saying, oh, we got 300 capacity, but we're selling tables for $10,000. You know, I'm not saying that that's anybody here, I'm just saying it's a careful balance that we all have to watch, but everybody that I've been involved with all has started super low, and the artists that we're in the middle of developing right now, super low. We take any, you know, okay, they wanna have you play, oh, someone like Fabric wants to book you, do it. I don't care how much it is. If, if you have to pay for your flights and you lose your money flying over there, it's worth it. Like there's certain, you know, it's like I think it's a value that has to be installed. And then I just want to say one thing quickly about the brand side of things. Good friend of mine, Nicholas, and <laughs> we have opposing thoughts on this particular subject. But I will just say, you know, when talking about you were saying something about an experience and that kind of thing, that's where the brand comes in for us is to create a little bit of a different experience. Some of our brands are really full of artists and heavy with headliners. Some of them have people you probably never heard of except for maybe one of them. And it's really just about creating a community and people just like dressing up or like-minded people, decor. And it's not so much about that. It's a little bit more about an experience. So that's all I wanted to say about those things. Um, I wanted to pose a question about this and then I'd like to move on a little bit um, in just a second. One thing that Keith said that stuck out to me was um, uh, when he was talking about this kind of death spiral of prices um, was uh, that's just business. Um, so if we kind of accept that this is a natural part of an industry doing business, what's a realistic way to break this pattern? It kind of, it's kind of tied to what you're saying, because I was going to ask Nick, because this, this is all, I mean, we've got into a financial and social media discussion, it's relevant, but it's all, it was about club culture, the title of the panel. And I think the other elephant in the room is that you know, what is, what do you have to do to run a successful club in 2019 in a world where Brooklyn Mirage, you know, might be a more fun night out, Time Warp might be worth saving up for for two months, you know, or Awakenings or Burning Man or Coachella, you know, and all the electronic tents there. So assume you could get over the price thing. Assume you can navigate social media and work out the, the bullshit from the, from the decent and... I don't believe social media turns water into wine. It doesn't, it doesn't with the records I get sent. If someone's got half a million followers, I'll still know whether it's any good or not. But so isn't there another challenge just, you know, running, running a club in 2019, it can't be the same as it was in 1992. You know, what, what else can clubs do? What have they got to do to actually get back on the street and kind of work on a weekly basis? Yeah, I mean, as we were saying, and you said it perfectly as well, the... You know, we're not selling headliners. We're selling the experience of the people. And we're also selling the, the mission of our club. And it's, you know, we make it very But just let me clear. just, I, just sorry to interrupt you, but I don't remember ever going to a club in, the, in those times because of a headliner. You know, I had to, you, got, you went to Zoom because you had to go to Zoom. You go to DC10 because you had to go to DC10. There were great DJs there. You trusted them. But it wasn't really about, you just had to, and I, th I still think that works to this day. I think 
you know, when, when Solomon took off as a phenomenon at Pasha, he, you know, you went, if you like what he was playing, I presume you like what he was playing, but there was always that feeling that that's the night you had to be at. You know, Jamie Jones, you know, when Paradise started, that's the night you had to be at. Of course, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like what, what the clubs have to do. Were people going there for the scene? Yeah. Then, they were going, then that's what clubs have to do, is to build a, like, to build a scene. And there's a couple different ways to do it. Yeah, can, yeah, but I, can I, sorry. Yeah, please. Uh, it's Jaguar, I'm a DJ and broadcaster from Mixmag. Um, I just wanted to say something a bit more positive. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, regarding social media, and I know we've really, we've spoken about that already, but we've said about all the terrible things about it. There are some amazing things about it. For example, uh, there's a DJ called Sherelle who's just gone viral from an amazing boiler room that she did. and seeing the journey that she's made as a DJ, as a creative, from having that opportunity where her boiler room was by far one of the craziest and most amazing of all time, and seeing her DJing all over the world now, and it was a real opportunity because of social media that that clip of her going crazy with a bottle of Captain Morgan's and, you know, hundreds of people behind her playing amazing tunes, that catapulted her, and that's changed her career and I think if we look at social media as a tool something we can use for good that also can be a way to make club culture a better place because now she's bringing in tickets she's created this whole brand and I don't know I think it's just a really cool thing so there are ways that we can sort of use stuff like that to our advantage I, I, I think we'd all agree it's good as a platform and a conduit what we're saying here really is the data extracted from it, one, is not always authentic because sometimes there's drones of people distorting and manufacturing that data and the effects it's having on basically increasing the price for young people to go out. And as Pete said, people are now having to make a choice. You've got, that's, you're going to make that unite, whereas they should be able to go out perhaps two or three times and then it, we wouldn't be facing such a, such a problem. I think the thing with social media, oh. it's obviously a two-way street. Um, an interesting quote I heard was um, when the printing press was invented, it also created tons of new problems and many people wondered if it was good or bad for society. That's the way things work when there's a new technology, especially one that connects people in new ways. It's gonna shake things up. Um, I was gonna ask, um, is, was there anyone else that had a distinct positive trend in club culture in the past few years that feels kind of new um, that they've observed? Kind of like what Jaguar said. I mean, what I've observed is that you guys talk about mid-range artists. Like, we call them mid-range artists for a reason because we built them from when they're not mid-range. And what I've noticed at MMA particularly was that uh, we managed to get an artist who had no name who cost a few hundred euros, international, a German artist, and we built him up from show to show to show until he sold out our main room on his own. And that's kind of what changed because I decided to take a different concept of it and go a little bit back and kind of start giving longer set times, less names, and making it about going to the club rather than, you know, going for the artist. That worked. It worked really well. I sold out a year and a half of shows with exactly that concept. And uh, social media is a great tool. I mean, saying it's bad and thinking negative about it, you can do that. But problem is, it's there. It's not going to go away. Use it. That's how our club got famous. One video of Ben Clock playing a, a MMA four years ago. Two and a half million clicks in a week, and everyone thought it was Burkheim. 
It works for the clubs. Use it. Seriously. In regards to what you were saying earlier, I, I must admit that because I was an agent as well before, and I feel that sometimes promoters are getting a little bit lazy. I hope, sorry. <laughs> I think you're booking the you're booking the big artists, and then you know sometimes you just put the headliner on Facebook, and you're just waiting for the tickets to sell. And then you know there isn't much promotion going on in terms of pushing your night and making stuff happen. You're just booking the artist and okay you know and back promoting back in the day i remember when i was going out of nightclubs and of course times have changed but you know you used to get flyers thrown at you and you used to get like so much publicity about the night and posters and everything i don't i'm not saying that that's the right way then maybe it's social media that that's the new tool but i just feel it's it's become a bit complacent i'll book the artist and just wait for the tickets to sell you know as a club owner looking at a profit and loss statement weekly, uh, I can tell you that the week that I had Jamie Jones, uh, I would make a profit. The week that I would try to do very underground stuff and resident DJs and local talent, we would lose a lot of money. No, no, I know, but he was, uh, Pete was like, what can we create, you know, to bring this, where people go out for the experience, and it's not so much about the headline. I'm just what? wondering, I don't know the answer, you know, if, if we need to push more the promotion side of it. I don't know, just food for thought. <laughs> and G Germany is a, a really different market than anywhere else. Uh, Berlin is a complete anomaly. Uh, it's different place. than Germany, Berlin. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> Ber Ber Berlin is a complete anomaly. It's actually an interesting case study. It's the city where DJs play for very low fees, drinks are cheap, uh, ticket prices are cheap, everything's inexpensive, and you can be a starving artist living in Berlin, and you can go out every night and buy drinks and pay five euros to get in, but it only exists in Berlin. I'd like to speak to the, the, positive, um, the positive trends as uh, one thing, regardless if it's a brand, an artist, a venue, is the social impact, the mission-driven messaging that has really been developing in all sorts of parts of the industry, whether it's about mental health or being eco-friendly, um, just being positive, just be, being like friendly party culture and the communication that that happens through your brand messaging, through social media, sure, or just through the experience of the art, the, the words coming out of the artist's mouth. And it's something that's really cool to see as somebody that grew up being afraid of nightlife. It was not a place for a woman to really be invited to, as I feel, I feel very, uh, I feel like the vibe of how nightlife is perceived is, is changing. But I think coming back to your question, what we could do as club owners or anything, I think first of all, we need to look at the audience. And um, I can tell you, I don't know how it is in New York or London, but our audience, 55% is between 18 and 24. And then there is another 30% between 25 and 30. And coming back to social media, what we have to understand is that that generation grew up with a mobile phone. For them, they don't know about flyers or anything. And yes, as a promoter, we do a lot of work to fill our 52 nights in two clubs and, and all the other stuff. And um, when I go and when I see the young kids and see them in the club or open air location or at the festival, um, 
it's like what Keith said earlier. There's, they're not so much interested in music anymore. They're more interested in following a trend or following a hype. Or um, There recently has been pub published the Bertelsmann um, um, uh, study. Bertelsmann is a big uh, media house in Germany saying that 60% uh, of the German young kids between 16 and 21 are picking their holiday destination after the social media value they would get out of that destination. And I think at the end of the day, this is what, hap what is happening to our club culture and um, that's how we have to adopt, that people are not looking anymore into what kind of music is this DJ playing, is it a good DJ, can she or he mix, how long does she or he play, no. Um, what kind of social media value do I get out of it? And is it fancy and is it funky to go there? And is there enough whatever around uh, a brand or, or anything else? There is so and much about what's cool, right? It has to be Excuse cool. Me? Like it has to be cool. Everything now, it's like social media. You have to be cool and the pictures and everything. It's just, there's so much pressure on the artists as well to be able to have that branding around them, to be able to get gigs and everything. It's just so quite disappointing that we've come to this, but it is. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to say, um, as someone who's, I don't have skin in the game the way everyone here does, um, I'm, as a fan and a critic, um, I actually think my feeling about the whole scene is really positive, actually, for a lot of the reasons that Kay mentioned. Um, I guess, to me, it feels like dance music uh, social awareness is more central to it than it's ever been. Um, the whole thing is moving towards a shared set of values that's very compassionate and progressive. Um, I kind of feel more at home in it for those reasons than I ever have. Um, I guess sort of focusing on the culture part of club culture, I don't know, does anyone have anything that they feel is sort of like an interesting new part of the culture aspect that we haven't spoken about yet? Yeah, Kira. Yeah, I had a couple of positive things, I think, which is um, like the repeal of the Cabaret Law in New York. Uh, two years ago, Berkheim lobbied the government and now has a tax rate of 7%, which is the same as the filler money. Um, and to do that, they had to kind of prove that the experience of going to Berkheim is like going to the opera. Um, um, and I think that's really how club culture can progress, is by getting together, lobbying and standing up and saying we are a really relevant art form. You know, it doesn't matter if it's business or community or what side of that axis you, you sit on. We're here and we're, we're an art form, we're a culture. And I think that's the most important thing that, that we can try to move on from. Yeah, absolutely. And with uh, Mirik Milan from Amsterdam, Lutz from Berlin and the Creative Footprint work, that is really making nightlife a part of a, the known culture of a city and making it not this scary drug-fueled terrible death trap is a I mean, it's incredible the work that's been happening just in the past few years, setting up offices of nightlife, having actual city officials give a shit about nightlife, seeing it as a viable, sustainable, real value. Um, and there's, there are people really doing the work and it's benefiting all of us in this room. It's fantastic. Earlier, um, I think it was Keith, someone said something about how club culture doesn't get the cultural recognition it deserves or the protection because it's still seen as a decadent subculture. And I guess I wonder if the stuff we're talking about now, um, all these kind of grassroots things that start in club culture um, from things like uh, focus or you know, increased emphasis on 
uh, diversity on lineups, um, representation in general, to things like the advent of drug testing, um, maybe like could that be sort of how club culture potentially saves itself by you know um, focusing on these sort of socially positive things, um, correcting that perception of it as a decadent, scummy underworld. Um. Uh, just speaking for London, we would absolutely love to do all of those things, but we have an archaic police force that will not let us do any of it. We wanted drug testing after we reopened. They refused it. We wanted all these progressive approaches. They refused it. Um, I can't speak for the other countries and, and, and even police forces in the UK because Manchester can do drug testing. Uh, Cambridge at the festival, they can do drug testing. London will not allow it. The Met will be the last one to change but we have the most events going on. And so we're in a very draconian position of the Met has zero tolerance. And until the law changes, they will not change their mind. So we're sort of in a corner and we can't do much about it, unfortunately. Um, or, or can we? <laughs> well. This is what I was saying earlier. At the moment, we have a number of associations or different trade bodies that are all saying different things. No one's singing from the same song sheet. We have resources and tools to do this. We've got Pete here. There's probably no one walking the face of the earth that's done more to promote and develop electronic music than Pete. We've got people like Ben Turner. You will not find a man more passionate about this industry. Those guys are in, involved with certain or, or, or bodies. If everybody got behind one body, okay, and we're sitting here with people who have had their clubs closed down unfairly because I said, this is prejudicial and it's discrimination. No one else gets treated like this. But if we, as an industry, everybody got behind one, one body, one spokesman that had a clear, cogent, consistent argument and fought our case and... More importantly, everybody chipping their pockets. Every club, whether it's 1%, 2%, 5% of their profits, goes to this body and they fight our case. Which we should not be treated in a way that other people just aren't. And so perhaps there is something we could do about it. It's about all coming together and marching together and demanding that we're not treated and discriminated against like this. Uh, I had similar problems with uh, my club Cielo in 2008 with drugs, very similar to what happened uh, with Fabric. It was not well publicized at the time. Uh, I tried to be active in organizing you know, groups of people to fight this, but the reality is our industry is so cutthroat and you always have some bad actors that are unwilling to join forces to achieve such goals. Yeah, I thought about that too. Because it is, it's like trying to herd kittens, okay? But if the industry come together, there's a lot of things that you can actually do. If we came up with an idea like that, like everyone that's involved in the industry makes a contribution, because anybody that's gonna fight this case and fight for us needs the funds to do it. Anyone that doesn't chip in, take part. We've got press here. Don't give them any press. We've got agents. Don't let them have the artists. This is. This is a culture we all share and enjoy. And if we can't come together and do it, so then we've only got ourselves to blame. But we could use these other, if you like, more benign, sort of subtle tools, you know, and it, gets, it takes everyone to come together. Anyone that's not playing the game, press. Don't give them no press. Or sh name and shame them, you know. So there are ways that we could, if you like, discipline that and get people on board. Because you're right, it's cutthroat. Everybody 
as I said, looks at their own, just the limited of our horizons and their own self-interest. Freeze them out. Don't give them any press. Don't give them any artists. Let's not talk to them, you know. Um, and, and perhaps we might be able to get the, you know, sufficient push and, and to get the energy there to, to, you know, to get and win this case. Um, I'm curious, uh, a lot of the discussion is focused on big clubs in big cities central to the scene. Um, is it as cutthroat as what everyone's describing in other parts of the scene? For instance, like Kira, um, with you and the artists that you book and the clubs that they play at, do you sense the same kind of rules of the jungle atmosphere? I mean, I don't really recognize a lot of what's being discussed here. I'm, I'm working really a uh, very independent underground way, which is my choice. Um, like the most important thing for me with an artist is to get the right balance of gigs for them. So of course they have to earn, you know, a reasonable income and, and think about that in the long term. But um, to me and to my artists, we have values that we share and they need to go and support radical minority parties, um, you know, which maybe might have a 300 euro fee. Um, so I guess in some senses a, a bigger fee in London helps balance that out. If you can see yourself, I know that's not helpful for you guys, but as part of this bigger ecosystem, I feel like it's definitely a, a bigger problem in the major markets, and a big a part of it is is oversaturation. Yeah. That's probably the number one thing. What it is like, nobody's really touched on that. And I know we're trying to go positive, but just to answer that question, I, I believe that that's a big part of it in the major markets is oversaturation, and that's where you get the middle tier. It, it answers pretty much every single one of the questions. That you get the middle tier, they're saying you won't pay it, they will, and you know maybe they're not caring as much about the culture as they should be and playing for the right spots for the right money. It's oversaturation. And you got promoters that come in and like you said, bad actors. Promoters, clubs come in, maybe they're not, maybe they are just about money, maybe they're not trying to create a movement or create a culture or culture isn't even on their, you know, anywhere in their agenda when they're trying to put together something and then that turns, that's what turns it bad. There is, there is one advantage though to having an oversaturation of artists. If they behave like that, you don't have to book them. You can just find another artist, right? Yeah. Ah, gotcha, sorry. I think what I found as well, because I, I, I do work in cities outside of London, and I think with stuff like festival exclusivity zones now, uh, that takes out a lot of the, the smaller cities and the smaller towns. And also, if you're doing a big show, like say Printworks in London or Warehouse Project in Manchester, those kids that live in the little towns, which I was one of like 15, 20 years ago, you just focus on those big gigs in the big cities and you don't go out in the smaller towns anymore. So when I grew up, there was a scene in the town that I was, that, that I was in at the time and it was fun. You'd go out every other weekend there then you'd plan your big weekend to Cream or, or other clubs like that. But now those kids will just go, right, whereas project this day and that is my big, big night for the month. And I think that's where the struggle is. Those, those smaller scenes in smaller towns and cities just don't exist anymore. Yeah, I think a, an interesting uh, sort of counterpoint to that, though, is um, at the same time, there are interesting new cities with club scenes cropping up um, from Tbilisi to Montevideo to Kampala. Oh, 100%. I, I'm just speaking from a UK perspective. Sure, yeah. But I guess it's like, in general, we're speaking from a heavily um, London, New York But that's still big cities. Montevideo, Tbilisi, we're not talking about like small, sure. you know, small cities. You're, you're talking about like the regional, smaller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I said earlier, what happened in Germany. They're completely gone. If you, if you think 
15 or 20 years back to now, I think we lost in any city between 100 and 300,000 people. We lost nearly all the clubs which, which have been there before. And people just concentrating, like you said, they concentrate on the bigger gigs or on summer festivals, which are like all over the country, let's say in Germany, between two and 3,000, up to eight. Of course, we have bigger ones as well, but up to eight, 9,000. And this on a very regional level. So the, the matter of the business changed a little bit. And I think club life in Germany will get less and less, but people still will go out, but this will happen more on, a, on an event kind of basis. But I, one of the things as well is, has culture generally um, with youth changed? And I wanted to go out every Saturday. It was kind of, I lived during the week to go out on Saturday night every single Saturday. Does, does the younger generation want to go out just once a week these days? Or do no. they want to go out every Saturday? Can I um, add to this as a 24-year-old? Um, while we're talking about sort of smaller club nights and small clubs, because we've spoken a lot about the bigger clubs, like there's, in the, in the UK at least, there's a wealth of new club nights coming through. Like you've got Love Muscle and Leeds, you've got Pussy Palace in London. You've got so many small club nights which are massive. They have a huge culture around them. And I think I'm really proud of my generation because we've got all these amazing club nights coming through which mean something, which stand for something. For LGBTQ people, there's so many amazing alternative nights you can go to. And I'd, like, I'd really like to just say well done to the people who sort of put on those nights. And I think my generation as well is quite political in a sense. Like, again, people aren't just throwing club nights these days. They're doing them for a reason. And it's being noticed, I think. Our generation is actually trying to change the world for the better by doing something we love. And Sophie, I don't know if you want to add to anything here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I think your generation in particular, I can't class myself there, but has done wonders for um, bringing light to issues that needed to be focused on. I think my perspective, um, which I think ties into everything been mentioned here, um, from the, and, it, and it's interesting hearing other, uh, other perspectives, like the pressures on club owners and, and bookers that you don't often consider as an artist, it's interesting to hear. Uh, from the artist's perspective, I, um, my personal experience is that fees get pushed up because I found I wanted to be more expressive and a lot of the time um, depending on what your management arrangements are production values and anything special that you want to put into a performance to actually uh, say more about what your uh, what your message is and, and give uh, the audience more of an experience uh, that's often down to you to fund those costs so I don't think it's always out of pure greed that people are asking for bigger fees. And I think also, um, you know, going back to what Pete was saying about um, club culture can't be the same in 92 as it is in 2019. And I think also the way that music is performed uh, can't be the same. And um, there is a lot of pressure for artists to differentiate themselves and to build out these more experiential shows. That's my thoughts. 
Thank you. And to yes to that, and also to echo uh, Jaguar, <laughs> not Jaguar, Jaguar, uh, is the, the nights, like the Saturday night, it's not going out every Saturday night. My queer community goes out every Wednesday and Thursday, and then they're out again on Sunday. And those parties are usually free, or they're super cheap cover, and they're 200 person capacity, super cool, funky venues, or the small room of a bigger club. And that's where I feel that community and those people that really just like nightlife, like to go out, like to be with their friends, it's still happening, just not on Saturdays. And in different places at different yeah. kinds of parties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say I've lived in Berlin, I've lived there for 10 years, and all the interesting things going on there kind of fit the description that you and Jaguar were describing. Um, I sort of wonder if there's just a general kind of paradigm shift um, that's taking place before our eyes that's kind of shaking shit up. Saturdays for tourists. But Saturdays uh, have to pay the bills to keep the ship afloat. I love tourists. If anyone's a tourist, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes. If you want a bottle, a table, but call me. <laughs> Got about 10 minutes left. I was curious to see if anybody else wanted to ask a question or make a comment. Hey guys, um, I'm Seth. Um, I know actually most of the people on on the panel, and as a kind of larger touring artist, have have some um, kind of I guess input. Um, I very much believe in what Kay and Jaguar and I forgot your name are saying. Um, really, it's about culture building and having culture festivals like Time Warp have a great culture and have shown anything. But young people want to go out and, and be a part of something. Me, even as a DJ, when like my fees were high, rising like kind of crazy, I started playing really shitty clubs. And then I went to my agents and I was like, these clubs suck and these people suck. I don't want to do this. And so I lowered my fees and then I played better clubs because it was where the cool people go. When I was in Detroit, I had this very famous party called Need I Say More that I started when I was a skint kid. And I, it, was five do, it was five bucks. And then we had rated it to 10 bucks because we were losing money, but I didn't feel like you should have to pay more money than that to do those things. Like I play in a lot of markets for a lot lower fees because I'm like, yo, people here are skint. Or even I'll go to the market the first time, realize how skint people are, and then lower my fee. Because it's just like, well, I want to do a good party. So it's on the side of agent, manager, and club. But on the club side as well, like fabric or with um, output, I, I'm kind of a quarterly resident at both and have been fabric. I was the young kid who they brought up and then I really was one of the first clubs that gave me a chance. Same with output, one of my first real true resident clubs. Um, and, and it was incredible they were able to give those chances. However, in the kind of long term, they're also at your clubs. I can say that there's sometimes not the best culture you know, of the people going there. And, you know, I could, I'm sorry to criticize you and thank you guys so much for all the help that you've given me, but also it's into the club to determine the culture that they have in that club. And then that culture, culture fosters more people to come. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always cool and it's always packed for me with you guys. And it's because of the time that we've spent playing at your club that we've been able to build our own culture together with the fans that come there. But by taking new artists on and kind of wanting a new culture to build with them, it's not really kind of possible, you know? And then, I mean, really, Keith, you're, I mean, I feel like you and, and Andy have two different ways of thinking. And, and more so, believing and playing in artists that you believe in has always been what the club was about. Judy and that love, that's what the club about. Craig's love is what the club's about. And when that's kind of, you know, changed at some point, the club changed as well because those people bought the culture. So in a, in a big aspect, if we want to save culture, if we look at the cities like Berlin or Amsterdam that are thriving, it's because on a political and local sense, they've put invested value into the culture of music. And that's why I think what we have to do as a greater whole is put more invested culture in our cultures within music. If we want music to be seen not as a drug culture, but as a greater kind of high culture and fine art as a whole, and the artists like Sophie developing greater projects and releasing them at a greater kind of conscious cultural level rather than kind of creating something that's very cheap and diminishing value that comes with like a lot horrible, more, more like kind of non-cool people. You know, it's about investing in culture and the people on this panel who have invested in those cultures instead of kind of a commodity, it seems like it's paying off. There you go. And it also paid off for me as a DJ. Now I play like cool clubs all the time. <laughs> Um, I'll come over there. Thank you. Um, I'm Elias, promoter and DJ from Switzerland. And so like 18, 20, 19 years old youth cares about the scene and they want to see friends, whether they are the artists or the fellow clubbers on the, uh, on the nightclub. My techno Spotify playlist is named after Printworks Press Souls, you know, and so we care about it. We travel for these experiences. and. Um, I very much agree with what Kira said about putting middle-tier artists, you know, and uh, upfront, like young residents and warm-up DJs. And would you, the owners of these stellar clubs, um, there to mesh up lineups, to, to create dedicated lineups for these young people, for these emerging artists at peak time, maybe? Would you see that as a long-term investment for these rediscovery and assessments we, I think we're all looking for in this moment of the of this situation, of the club scene? Thank you. Um, thank you. This is uh, Tara. I'm a DJ producer. And just to follow up with uh, what uh, our colleague, um, another artist, was saying, we are promoting the love culture, but how? We are promoting a techno scene, and it's grungy, and people go with a hoodie, and they're afraid of holding hands because they're going to be called sorry, gay or cheesy, and we don't want to put reggaeton and hip-hop and pop into our clubs because we think those are for cheesy young crowds and they're not really promoting the scene that we want. So in a way, we are actually promoting that club, uh, drug culture, I feel, by bringing the artists that the the, they don't want to play vocals, they want to be grungy because that's the cool look. They want to have all the Instagram in a black or white or, and they call themselves influencer and I'm one of them, but is that really the culture that we're promoting? Is that love? Is that uh, what we are as an influencer, you know? So these are just questions and an artist that I think of myself and 
I think that uh, we should just be more open, inviting everyone, respecting all ideas, not discriminate, not judge. It's okay if an artist wants to play more vocals than others. Like, um, for example, you fellows talking about not making enough money at clubs, but like when we are promoting the scenes that it's just based on the coolness is based on like the grunginess and the more underground, like people don't want to spend money on alcohol because they come with a bottle of water and probably a pill and they don't want to do anything else. They are just happy the way they are. But I feel like if we are more open to welcome more uh, different kinds of music and just be experimenting and spreading that love, collaborating, fusing genres, producing visual shows like your club in um, Brooklyn, experimenting, bringing new ideas, new concepts. It's all love. You know, love is not just a form of music. It's visuals, it's looks, it's holding arms, it's maybe vocals, maybe reggaeton, maybe techno. It can be anything, you know. Uh, I think the whole idea of art, it needs to be a little bit more um, look in terms of definition, you know, and that uh, goes with love as well. So I don't know if I'm making any sense. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, Paul Nolan here, uh, artist, producer, uh, artist, developer, coach. And I just want to pick up on what Keith was saying, which I totally agree with about coalescing around causes because in the UK we do have this really draconian situation where we can't do drug testing we can't actually make the scene safer than what we actually need it to be so I totally agree with that but I also somebody used the word compassion as well and I work with a lot of artists who are actually quite afraid of becoming or having a situation where they may be seen as the next 10 walls or the next Constantine or be judged for certain things that have happened in their past which have been misunderstood and social media culture, etc. The main thing I want to try and get across is that I think for these artists, there always needs to be a road to education and a road to redemption. Because unless we learn from our mistakes and we create and we continue as a practice to create that compassionate culture where we allow for people to change, and yes, we do put people to one side and we do say, look, that's not part of our culture. That's not what we're about. That's cool. But also, it's not a permanent ostracization. You know, we need to be able to live these values of compassion. And I know if anyone was on the wrong side of that, they would want a second chance to try and improve themselves and reintegrate into the culture. And I think that's a wider societal point as well as within club culture. But compassion has to come first and foremost for me. Like, compassion, yes. And the thing is, though, as an artist, and as you mentioned, Ten Walls, for example, which was a major thing, what was it, four years ago now? Three years ago? Where all his gigs got cancelled? You're a, an influencer. You are a man who's got a big audience you have to be really careful what you say publicly. You make that mistake once, that's not a mistake, it's a cardinal sin. You don't go out there hating against your own sin, hate, uh, scene, and hating against inclusivity. 
which what is what we stand for. So we have to make an example, or there has to be an example made. We haven't excluded him. Nobody's excluded him in that sense. He's excluded himself. Because he's giving out the wrong opinion, in my opinion. Hello. First of all, I just wanted to say that I'm really humbled to be in the presence of such interesting and intelligent minds, so thank you. Um, I'm a university student at Falmouth University, and I study music theatre and entertainment management, but I'm particularly interested in music. When I have like a free time, I organise hip-hop and techno events in local venues. And since next year is going to be my last year of university, I just wanted to ask you guys for any tips to how to maintain a healthy um, club culture and to promote the values that all you stand for, really. I would say learn about the history of club culture, where this music came from, and uh, respect that and highlight it. And also figure out what your values are. And as long, personally for me, as long as you can keep to your values and you, you follow your intuition and you know like this is not the right step for me and you come back to like the core of your values, then I believe you'll have success. Um, can I just say, yeah, I think value is so important. And if we're looking at club culture in a way that mirrors real life, I guess, you, you're going to want to make sure that your club night is reflective of a world you want to live in. And I think, again, it's so important to like, have diversity and make sure your DJs aren't all of one sort of calibre. You know, it's so important nowadays to have reflect the people that live in the world. And again, I just want to say, as a young person, I do feel really inspired looking up at the top tiers these days and see people like Honey Dijon, Black Madonna, Peggy Goo, people I can really relate to and speak to, I think. And they also want to give back. And I think it's, for me, I do feel the club culture is taping a step in the right direction because we do have these amazing people who are now at the top who weren't always there, and now people who are at the bottom can also join them. And I think the world is slowly becoming a more diverse place. And I think grassroots club nights should be striving for that, as well as big clubs should be striving for that as well. Perfect. I always say, just do it from the heart. Do what you believe. Then it's authentic and it's pure. If you start making it up, you'll eventually get it wrong. You'll, when you're making it up, that's just a guessing game, and you'll, you'll eventually guess wrong. So just do what you believe in. You, you, at least you cannot, can't up yourself, yourself then. You know. <laughs> Thanks so much, everybody, um, especially to the panelists. It's been really fun.